Your news programme, every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So, no doubt you will have been following this really unfortunate story. Tragic and shocking in the same breath when you see the footage of Russian ambassador Andrei Karlov being shot nine times by 22-year-old Mevlut Mert Altintas, a police officer, making this even more disturbing, but uh, which has it was feared immediately, raised concerns about Russia-Turkey ties, about the Syria situation. We can now bring in Dr. Aykan Erdemir, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies in Washington, D.C., former member of the Turkish parliament. Good to have you with us on the line. Thanks for having me. We're talking about a a particularly significant envoy here as well who'd served before in both South and North Korea, uh, in his 60s. His wife was present as well when this happened. A lot of people were very upset. But let's talk a bit more about the assassin first. He shouted, don't forget Aleppo and don't forget Syria. So his motivation seems pretty clear. Uh, his motivation seems very clear, though his connections are still not clear. Uh, there are still debates whether uh, this is a false flag attack uh, whether he was impersonating an El Nusra militant, uh, whether he belonged to some other group. Uh, I guess investigations will uh, reveal more about that. Uh, but uh, what's apparent at this point is uh, that the assassin uh, voiced a common sentiment, uh, widespread, especially among Turkey's uh, Islamist electorate, uh, that Russia and Iran... Uh, have been uh, responsible uh, for the humanitarian tragedy in Aleppo. And uh, people following pro-government media in Turkey uh, lately can see constant reference uh, to the atrocities uh, in, in, in Aleppo, in Syria. And in fact, uh, Turkey was seen of uh, mass protests against Russian and Iranian consulates. Uh, in Istanbul. Uh, so the attack uh, in, in this climate of uh, kind of hate and, uh, and uh, enmity uh, is not surprising. But what's surprising is that, uh, that the Turkish state uh, failed to protect the ambassadors. What's also surprising is that uh, the assassin was a, a, a police officer, a member of Ankara's, the capital's riot police. Yes. And the attack took place at the very heart of Ankara, the capital. You know, just a minute walk to the U.S. embassy and two minutes walk uh, to the Turkish parliament. How such a crime could be committed uh, in, in the most secure heartland of Turkey, uh, it still puzzles everyone in Turkey. Yeah, and, and unlike even the horror of that... Um Russian jet being downed close to the Syrian border, what we saw with this attack is something that just seemed movie-like. It was captured so clearly by, by, by cameras in both stills and in motion. 
and many of us will just never have seen anything quite like it before. It's, all, it's just almost unbelievable. And when analysing that footage, we see that classic index finger raised by the gunman. That has become a symbol of Islamic State, hasn't it? Or Daesh, as uh, it's popularly referred to, I know, in parts of the world, including Turkey. How much significance should we be reading into that? There are still debates as to that, uh, meaning uh, there seems to be some staging there, some performance there, you know, with the index finger, with uh, the initial Arabic recitation, uh, which could be a reference to al-Nusra uh, or al-Qaeda uh, militants. Uh, so th still the investigations are going on. Uh, some argue that this is a clear indication of the jihadist background, Others argue that this is just a performance uh, to uh, act as if he was a jihadist militant. Uh, and, 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 you know, Turkey is, is a very conspiracy-prone country. Already, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the attack, uh, different factions in Turkey started the blame game. You know, there is a lot of fog of war, and, uh, you know, fingers are being pointed uh, toward different uh, factions and groups in Turkey. Uh, but ultimately, I think uh, what's clear at this point is a, a catastrophic failure uh, on the part of Turkey's institutions. You know, here is a 22-year-old riot police from Ankara who was recruited two years ago. Uh, how, how did Turkey's institutions uh, fail to detect this individual? Uh, how did Turkey's institutions fail to protect the ambassador, and also uh, f uh, from the Russian point of view, how in such a dangerous setting uh, like Turkey, especially uh, for, for the duration of the hostilities in Syria, did the, the Russian uh, embassy fail to protect uh, its ambassador. Uh, for example, today in the immediate aftermath of the attack, Iran uh, announced that it's uh, suspending activities uh, at its consulates around Turkey. And I think that's a, a wise decision because Iran is also seen as responsible uh, for Turkey's, uh, especially Islamist groups, uh, as uh, being one of the kind of driving forces of the atrocities mm. uh, in Aleppo. So Turkey is, is still very tense. It's very polarized. Uh, but what's certain is that Turkey's security apparatus, uh, after 14 years of rule by the Islamist-rooted Justice and Development Party, uh, seems to be uh, fragmented, seems to be dysfunctional. Uh, you know, uh, the meritocracy is undermined, secular principles are undermined, and now the debate is how did uh, Islamists manage to infiltrate the security apparatus to such a large extent, and what can be done to remedy it? So many different avenues we could pursue here. Turkey in itself, um, what's happening with the society, this, uh, this collision between Islamic extremism almost and, uh, and the kind of society that many people prized for a long time and which has attracted tourists from all over the world, for example, as well, including from Russia, of course, and that's another element to the dispute. But broadly speaking, I think as we've suggested, Vladimir Putin is not falling for this. He's not going to allow this, is he, to, to, to spiral out of control and become a trigger for a world war, as sometimes assassinations can be linked with. 
Now, uh, Russian President Putin is a very strategic thinker, uh, and uh, during the November 2015 crisis uh, that came after Turkey's downing of a Russian jet uh, on the Turkey-Syrian border, uh, Putin's initial response uh, was uh, first to put pressure on Turkey, then to enter into the Syrian uh, scene with force, and ultimately, uh, by June 2016, uh, he uh, brought Erdogan uh, to uh, a place uh, which he wanted. That is, he used the crisis as an opportunity uh, to gain concessions, to wrestle concessions out of Turkish President Erdogan. And this time around, uh, he seems to have the same strategy. Uh, he uh, responded very calmly. Today, there was the summit in Moscow uh, with the Iranian and Turkish foreign ministers meeting the Russian counterpart, and there was a declaration uh, in Moscow, and it seems uh, concerning Syria, Turkey now has to be on the same page with Iran and Russia, and uh, for those who are observing Syria since 2011, since the start of the, the hostilities, this is quite a reversal of fortunes for Turkish foreign policy in Syria. You know, in 2011, 2012, Turkey was a strong uh, backer of regime change. Mm. Turkey supported Islamist groups to topple the Assad regime. But as of today, it seems, Turkey has finally given up on the regime change demands and is now uh, pretty much towing the, the Russian and Iranian line. Uh, Dr. And, uh, yeah. I, I was going to say, we've got to leave it there. Thank you so much for giving us what is a very thorough overview of some of the complexities of this. Dr. Edemir, good to have you on the line. Thank you for having me. Have a good day. Former member of Turkish Parliament, Dr. Aykan Erdemir, now based in Washington, D.C., with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies.